0: Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Dvarim. My name is Menachem Leibteg. Today we complete our study of Parshat Nitzavim, class number 6 out of 6. Our share today will only discuss two verses in our parsha, that is chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, which is the very end of this last speech of Moshe Rabbeinu that began at chapter 29 and ends now here, in the end of chapter 30. And it's these two psukim relate to the function of Shemayim v'Aretz in relation to our covenant with God, It will be an opportunity to use this topic of creation and the theme of Matar and the theme of rain to help appreciate some of the themes of Rosh Hashanah that we're going to celebrate next week. So let's begin in chapter 30, verse 19, Pasuk Haidoti bachem hayom et HaShemayim I'm either warning you today, or as witness, I'm setting aside today for you the heavens and the earth. You'll see the argument among the commentators very soon. natati Before you, I'm giving you the choice of life and death. Habracha v'aklala, which relates to the blessing and the curse, as we explained in yesterday's class. Uv'acharta therefore you should choose life, which means choose the blessing and choose to follow God. Leman ata in order that you shall live, you, together with your offspring. And what you need to do to live? What is the blessing? Pasach verse 20. to love Hashem your God, kabo, to listen to His voice and to cling to Him, ki hu chayecha because He is your life and the length of your days. Ebed Ezra claims that who is not referring to only to listening to God, but it's referring to God Himself, because your connection to God, that is the essence of your life and the length of your days. al adama, to live on this land, Adonai Lavram the land that Hashem swore to your forefathers, Tabram and Yakov, to give to them. As we saw in yesterday's Shior, in this last section of this speech, Moshe Rabbeinu is explaining to the people they have a very simple choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. If you want to follow the laws, you will receive the blessing and you'll live in the land for a long time. If you do not follow, that will be the curse and you will face exile and harsh punishment. In relation to the question as to why Moshe is appointing the heavens and earth as witnesses to this covenant, Shorashi offers two explanations. His first explanation is a simple one. And Ebenezer follows in a very similar manner. Rashi states, The heavens and the earth, they are around forever. And should evil befall you, you They will be my witnesses that I warned you. Therefore don't complain to me. You didn't know the punishment was coming. The heavens and the earth are present now, and they'll be present thousands or hundreds of years later. Should that punishment come, and then I can say, I told you so, I warned you that this would befall you if you did not listen. Ebenezer provides a very similar explanation. And he says, Because they remain and stand there forever. And then he brings an example, which is very important. Ala he quotes a passage from Yeshua chapter 24, where Yeshua is also making a break. He's making a covenant between God and the people. In fact, he's reaffirming this covenant of Sefer Dvarim. After the land is conquered, he gathers the nation together in Shechem and gives the people another chance to make a choice. Do you want to accept God? Yes or no? At the end of that story, Yahshua tells the people this stone where the people were meeting together in Shechem will be the witness to this breed. Now that covenant in Sefer Yosha chapter 24 is directly related to this covenant here in Sefer Dvarim for a very simple reason. As Chazal point out, There was a certain problem with the covenant that we made at Har Sinai because it was under duress. When we accepted the Torah for the very first time at Har Sinai, we needed God for water, we needed God for protection, we needed God for food. God provided us in a miraculous way with manna every day. He provided water for us also in a miraculous manner. He guarded us from the heat with the Ananei Kavod, with the clouds of glory. He protected us from our enemies. And... After all those events, and being in that situation, when God offered and proposed to us, do you want to be my people? And we said, Nasev and, ishma, and we accepted that. One could say later on, the only reason we accepted that was because we were under duress. Therefore, after the land is captured, and after Amisro settled down in the land, the nation finds itself in a very different situation. We no longer need God for water, because we have natural water from the rain that falls from the sky. We no longer need God for food, We don't need the manna anymore. We can plant our own food in the land. We can harvest our own grain. We have an army now. We've defeated our enemies. God may have helped us conquer the land in the first place, but now that we're settled down, we have our own army. We don't need God for protection anymore. And therefore, Yeshua, in recognition of this new situation, has the opportunity now to reaffirm the covenant in a manner that we are no longer as a nation under duress. Therefore, after giving a short history, In the beginning of chapter 24, for the first 13 lines, he talks about their history from the time of Terach. After giving that short historical speech, Yeshua tells the people, I want you to make a choice today. Do you want to follow the God who took you out of Egypt? Do you want to serve him? Or do you want to serve the gods of Terach? Or do you want to serve the gods of the Canaanites? It's your choice. And the people answered, No, we do not want to follow the gods of Terach. We want to follow the God who took us out of Egypt. And they accept the offer. And then Yeshua tells them, Are you sure you want to? This is a very hard job. And the people say, nonetheless, we're going to accept this covenant. At the end of this back and forth between Yeshua and the people, in chapter 24, verse 21 in Yeshua, Vayomer al Yeshua, lo ki et Adonai navod, the people answer Yeshua, no, we are not going to follow other gods, but we are going to serve Hashem, our God. Yeshua answers back in verse 22, edim ki Adonai Yeshua told the people, you are witnesses to this today, that you have chosen on your own for Hashem to serve Him. And the people answered, that's right, we are witnesses. And then in verse 24, the people say, The people tell Yeshua, Hashem our God, Hashem our boss, we shall serve Him, and we will listen to His voice. Notice the words here, just like in Harsinai, they affirmed the Brit with Nashev and Nishma. Now that we have conquered the land of Israel and we have settled down, we say Nashev and Ishma one last time. Then, in verse 25, Yeshua then makes his covenant with the people and puts down this law in Shechem. And then, he took a very large stone, he established it there, and then Yeshua says, in verse 27, and this is the verse that Ebenezer quoted, this even, this stone will be for us a witness this stone it heard all the words of God that he spoke to us and it will be our witness lest you say we never took this responsibility upon ourselves. No, this stone here heard everything you said is witness to this contract, and therefore. It will be a reminder as well that you're now obligated to this agreement and to keep the laws of this covenant. And then Yeshua sends everyone back to their nachalah, back to their inheritance. So I think it's not by chance that Eben Ezra quotes his verse from the book of Yeshua to prove his point that there's a need when you make a contract to have witnesses to the contract. And just like the stone is the witness of the contract in chapter 24 in Yeshua, here, God is using the heavens and the earth as a witness because also they will be there forever. Rashi brings down a second opinion. Everything that God created does not get rewarded for listening to God. And nonetheless, they do everything that God said. You, who do get rewarded if you follow God, even more so, you should follow God. So the second opinion that Rashi brings down is saying not that the heavens and the earth are a witness to this contract to tell you later, I told you so. They're being used as an analogy why it's worthwhile for Amisro. To accept this covenant and to follow its laws, because everything else that God created follows God even more so. You should follow God, and on top of that, you also get reward for doing what God asks you to do. Chizkuni goes in a very different direction. Chizkuni says Haydoti is more of a warning, and he says as follows: Haydoti bechem et hayom et Vitaaretz, hain tova, hain chiluf. Not that they serve as a witness. But they will take care of punishing you or rewarding you. He brings verses from Parshat Bahar B'chokotai that if we follow God's laws, God will give us rain at the right time and the land will give its fruit, and therefore the Shemaim and Aretz give us reward should we keep the laws. And in the same way, if we don't follow God's laws, the Shemaim and Aretz will punish us. The heavens will hold back the rain and the land won't give its produce. So therefore, hear here it doesn't mean they're witnesses to you, but rather they're my warning to you. You better listen because they will be my agent to punish you or reward you should you keep or not keep these laws. I'd like to tie together both the second opinion in Rashi, together with Chizkuni, the idea that we can look at nature and look at heavens and earth and learn an educational message that should inspire us to follow God. At the same time, the idea that God will use the heaven and the earth to reward and punish us, to help us understand one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah. Recall in the story of Gan Eden, in chapter two, verse four in Sefer Brishit, it begins as follows: todot asot Adonai Elohim eretz So the introductory line of the story of the Gan Eden summarizes the first chapter where God made the heaven and the earth, and now these will be the products of the evolvement from Shemaim va'aretz the creation of man in Gan eden but before god plants this garden and before he makes man Chumash tells us as follows in chapter 2 verse 5 in brshit the term there was no vegetation yet in the land the term nothing was growing yet in the fields for two reasons ki tir aretz because elohim had not yet brought rain down on the land, and man was not there to work the land. Rashi, in his commentary on this verse, makes a very interesting observation, because we all know that indeed we need rain for vegetation to grow, but we don't need man. Vegetation grows nicely without man. There are many forests where a man never walked, and things grow beautifully. But rather, Rashi says as follows, Why was it that there was no rain yet? Because God had not yet made man to work the land, no one existed yet to recognize the goodness of rain. And when God made man, created man in Gan Eden, man prayed for rain, and then rain came. But some haylanot bad Shaim and then the trees and the grass began to grow. This Rashi is not the simple meaning of the verse. But rather, I think it's a simple meaning of the Torah. What Rashi is alluding to is that there's a very prominent theme in the Torah of the importance of rain, of Matar. What is special about Matar? Matar is any type of precipitation. Anything that comes from heaven to earth is called Matar. For example, in the story of the man, when God brings man down from heaven, God says, Bread or food is coming down from heaven. Any action where something comes from heaven to earth is called Matar. This is important because when we look at creation and look at nature, it appears to be there's heaven and there's earth, and there's no connection between them. Chumash is telling you, there's one God who made both heaven and earth, and they are connected. But in the physical world, the only thing that connects heaven and earth is rain. And in the spiritual world, the only thing that connects heaven and earth is man. Man who has the ability to pray to God. Man can connect heaven and earth, in fact, how did God make man? He made him a dama the raw material was from the dust of the earth, by pach Papab nishmat chayim. but he put into him something spiritual, something from the heaven, and man is a Tolada. He's the creation of heaven and earth. He brings heaven and earth together, at least he has the potential to bring heaven and earth together. And therefore, man's job is to recognize the purpose of his own creation, that God gave him the ability to be creative, to develop civilization, and the rain that connects heaven to earth is an example for man to understand his connection to God. Later in Sefer Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu explained to the people in chapter 11, verse 10, He explains the land that you're going to inherit now, the land of Israel, is not like Egypt that you left. There, you watered your field by opening and closing irrigation ditches with your foot. Now, in the land of Israel, there's no Nile River, but rather ha'aretz asheratem ovrim Rishta, the land that you're going now to inherit, eretz harim uvekot limatar hashamaim tishtemaim. It's a land of hills and valleys, and you get water from matar. You drink water from the rain that comes from heaven. And then he explains, eretz asher Adonai Elohecha dorishota. This is the land that Hashem, your God. Is looking over. He takes care of it. God's eyes looking over this land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And therefore, in verse 13, the famous second parsha of Kretchma, if you follow Hashem your God in Shemoti then you'll have rain at the right time, your land will give its produce, and therefore the Shemaim and Aretz will bless you. Then, be careful if you don't listen to God. Then, God will hold back the heavens and there will not be rain. So, here again, the heaven and earth, as Chuskuni pointed out, can both reward you when you follow God's laws and they both punish you if you do not follow. This can help us understand why Rosh Hashanah is our day of judgment. The way nature works in the land of Israel, due to its climate, it never rains in the summer. If it does, only maybe a little drizzle here and there. But the main rain in the land of Israel is only between October and March, between Sukkot and Pesach. But without rain, how do people survive? The answer is rather simple. When it rains in the winter, that rain fills up an aquifer of water that's below the ground. And if there's enough rain in the winter, those underground water sources are filled up. And then all summer long, man can tap that water by digging a well, by digging a bear and then being able to draw that water all summer long. But because of that, the rain that falls, especially in the beginning of the winter, is critical for our survival all year long. And in a certain way, the rain in the beginning of the winter is going to determine the outcome of the agriculture of the entire year. If it doesn't rain enough in the beginning of the winter, you won't have water to drink in the summer, your crops won't grow properly, and whatever does grow, people will fight over. And therefore, the rain of an early winter can, in essence, determine who will live and who will die, who by famine, who by thirst, who by war, or who by plague. Now, Chumash is giving us a very different message. Don't think that there's a rain god who's in charge of this rain. Chumash is saying there isn't just a rain god like the Canaanites thought, the Baal god, or a fertility god like Asherah. There's one god who created the heaven and the earth. But based on what will it give you rain, not based on your prayer, but rather based. On your behavior. If you keep God's laws and you build the society that Sefer Dvarim is describing, and you sanctify God in your day-to-day life, then God will give you the rain at the right time, the land will give its fruit, and God will help you help him. But if you don't listen, as Sefer Dvarim mentions over and over again, God will use the heaven and earth as a wake-up call to remind you that you better improve your behavior. Because it appears to us as though nature is judging us. We understand that that is coming from God. But if we want God to bless us with a healthy agricultural year, we need to be deserving of the rain. And because the month of Tishrei is a month immediately preceding the rain season in the land of Israel, and because rain patterns are always determined several weeks beforehand, we need to show God already a month before the rainy season begins that we're ready and deserving of a good year. We know the rain it's going to determine the outcome of the year but we have to show god we understand that god determines the amount of rain we also have to understand that it's due to our behavior that god gives us rain and therefore what does the Torah tell us to do in the month of tishrei in the seventh month we have numerous holidays and the very beginning of the month we have a day of zikron torah we have to blow shofar to remember that god is judging us we don't have to remember to blow shofar Rather, we have to blow shofar in order to remember that God judges us based on our behavior. And the shofar reminds us, it's a wake-up call, not only that God exists and that God's our boss, but rather that God judges us based on our behavior. Therefore, we have to take upon ourselves to improve our behavior, to reflect on what we've done wrong the previous year, to take upon ourselves to be better the next year. And if we're sincere in those prayers, God promises us to bless us with a good year. So the primary goal is not simply blowing the shofar or not simply praying for rain, but rather the shofar is a wake-up call to ourselves and prayer is a wake-up call to ourselves to remember the nature of our relationship with God. And the most important point, that the way God treats us, reward and punishment, is based on our behavior and that should motivate us to take upon ourselves to behave in a proper manner. And therefore, the very last holiday in the month of Tishrei will be Shmini Atzeret. And in our tradition, That is the final day of our judgment for rain, and hence we have tefillat k'shamim, the final decision of the outcome of the year. Hopefully these ideas can help us appreciate our tefillot, our prayers on Rosh Hashanah, wishing everyone a Shabbat Shalom and a Shana Tova.